Your brain is an incredibly complex network with tens of billions of neurons working together in a coordinated dance that allows you to think, feel, and take action. The most sophisticated brain region of all may be the cerebral cortex, or cortex for short. It's a thin layer of tissue coating the outside of the brain, and animals with a big and intricately wired cortex tend to be more cognitively flexible than those with a simpler cortex. In the course of evolution, the brains of a certain line of primates, known as the haplorines, underwent an enormous expansion of their cortex. And part of the reason that your brain, your human brain, is so powerful and sophisticated is that these primates are actually your distant ancestors. In this video, we'll explore the evolution of the primate cortex, but first, an important caveat. The cortex, like every other brain region, is useless by itself. The cortex is crucial for all complex cognition, including language, mathematics, prediction, and planning. It's similarly crucial for fine-grained perception, like seeing specific objects or complicated trajectories of moving objects, as well as similar processes of hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, and so on. Yet all of these functions also depend on brain structures like the thalamus, amygdala, hippocampus, brainstem, and other subcortical regions. Additionally, all subcortical structures co-evolved with the cortex and they form complicated feedback loops with the cortex. For example, the cerebellum is important for smoothing out bodily movements by identifying and correcting errors during the movement. But it also seems to do something similar for thought correcting errors in our thinking as we solve problems. Similarly, while the motor cortex is important for choosing and initiating actions, the basal ganglia and spinal cord actually tell the muscles of the body how to move. But what exactly does the cortex do? Previously, I've explained how the prefrontal cortex is involved in generating our sense of self and in the brain's ability to regulate and coordinate its own activity in service of achieving goals, or cognitive control. In my video on interoception, I explained how the insular and cingulate cortices allow us to experience emotional and visceral feelings. And in my video on pleasure, I explained that the orbitofrontal cortex is important for our ability to experience pleasure. These are just a few examples of important cortical regions. In the next video in this series, we'll see how particular regions are involved in the various mental functions that together make our species unique. The point of this video is to see how the cortex got to its modern human form. So let's take a trip back in time. About 500 to 600 million years ago, the brain was a simple cord with networks of nerves emanating outward. These nerves were embedded in skin and probably allowed the animal to crawl and burrow into the ocean floor and to crudely sense its environment. This animal was probably rather blind. It didn't have any specialized sensory organs. But nevertheless, it was evolutionarily successful because this very simple brain gave the animal very distinct advantages over other creatures that couldn't move in such a directed way. These animals likely looked like giant worms. Specifically, they probably resembled their most genetically and morphologically similar descendants, the acorn worms. Acorn worms can be up to 17 centimeters long. They live at the bottom of the ocean, slithering and burrowing into the ocean floor to find nutrients in the mud and then filter it through their simple mouths and into their bodies. Later on, the brain specialized. Over time, the brain expanded and co-evolved with other structures, such as the spine and sensory organs, like eyes and nostrils. The brain was increasingly used to integrate information from these senses to guide more sophisticated movement, and in general, guide goal-directed behavior. 
In other words, animals with these kinds of brains and bodies can now see and smell and navigate through their environment. To do this kind of information processing, the brain needed to develop specialized functions. And that was how the very earliest brain regions probably evolved. These animals likely would have resembled the modern lamprey. The lamprey brain has a spinal cord, a brainstem, an olfactory bulb, an optic nerve, and even a tiny cortex. Still later, fish living in shallow water evolved into tetrapods with leg-like fins that allowed them to venture further and further onto the land. Eventually, tetrapods emerged from the sea, becoming the evolutionary link between fish and amphibians. The evolution from amphibians to reptiles continued the trend of expanding the brain and developing more specialized brain regions. Reptiles eventually evolved into tiny, shrew-like mammals. The mammalian brain grew larger compared to the rest of the body, and the cortex expanded. With regard to human evolution, a significant development in the evolution of mammals were the nocturnal, tree-climbing, insect-eating animals called Euarchonta. These would give rise to the primates, which include lemurs, monkeys, apes, and humans. Primates have disproportionately large brains overall and unusually intricate cortical wiring patterns. But if you compare humans, apes, and monkeys to lemurs, which are also primates, you'll find that the lemur's cortex is significantly smaller than the others. Humans, apes, and monkeys belong to a group of primates called the haplorines whereas lemurs belong to the strepsorines. This and other evidence seems to indicate that we owe our giant cortex to the common ancestor of humans, apes, and monkeys, which likely evolved about 60 to 70 million years ago. The reason for this may be that haplorine brains are more specialized for processing visual information compared to strepsorines, which are more specialized for olfactory processing. In other words, the great cortical expansion may have occurred because haplorines needed to see more clearly. Now, interestingly, it seems that the expansion of the haplorine cortex didn't happen as uniform growth in all directions, but instead as lateral growth outward by replicating cortical units side by side. And just as a nation expands, primarily by expanding the circumference of its borders rather than digging deeper into the ground or building upward into space, the cortex grew by expanding itself outward. And just as the national expansion involves building structures like commercial buildings and houses that resemble those in the original territory, the cortex expanded by replicating the microanatomical structures that populated the original territory of the cortex. These structures are called cortical columns, and they're often thought of as the basic unit of the cortex. As I mentioned in a previous video, some computational neuroscientists like Jeff Hawkins believe that cortical columns carry out a simple form of computation and the activity of and interactivity among columns accounts for the information processing of the cortex. Still, it's important to note that cortical columns are highly variable in their anatomy and possibly their function, so many scientists are skeptical of the hypothesis that they represent the basic functional unit of the cortex. Interestingly, the physical reason that the cortex got so big was the connections among neurons rather than the bodies of those neurons. Those connections are the axons, the cable-like extensions that neurons use to send a message to one another. The reason that connections rather than cell bodies are responsible for our big cortex has to do with how nodes connect to each other in a network. The number of interconnections in a network where all nodes are connected 
scales super linearly compared to the number of nodes. So in other words, if you want to connect every neuron to every other neuron in the cortex, the number of connections will grow much faster than the number of neurons. In reality, the cortex isn't wired up that way, like every other neuron can talk to every other neuron. But still, the point remains, in a heavily interconnected network, the number of connections will grow faster than the number of nodes. So as you add neurons to the cortex, the number of connections among those neurons will grow exponentially. And this presents a fundamental trade-off for brain growth. The number of neurons must be balanced by their degree of interconnectivity. This is one reason why, as brains get bigger in the course of evolution, they tend to specialize into distinct, highly interconnected regions with narrower ranges of function and fewer connections from one region to another. Furthermore, specialization itself may have played an important role in haplorine cortical expansion. That is, particular areas of the cortex expanded according to evolutionary selection pressures. For example, the visual cortex, along with its connections to subcortical regions like the thalamus and cerebellum, is disproportionately large in haplorines. The selection pressure that led to the expansion of the visual system may include advantages in avoiding predators, foraging for food, such as brightly colored fruits hanging on trees, better navigation through the environment, and possibly an enhanced ability to use and fashion tools. Whatever the specific pressures were, studies indicate that the expansion of the primate cortex was driven partly by the expansion of the visual system. Additionally, improved movement and balance may have also played a role. The cerebellum is involved in smoothing out motor movements, maintaining posture and balance, and it also plays a similar role in cognition, as we talked about earlier. Swinging through trees, using simple tools, and having highly nimble fingers would all benefit from an expanded cerebellum. The cerebellum itself seems to be expanded in the lateral regions, but it also seems to have contributed to the expansion of the cortex. How is that possible? As I talked about in my video on the cerebellum, this region has connections to cortical areas. And as we've seen, when you increase the number of connections among brain regions, you rapidly increase the overall size of the brain. In fact, some research suggests that the primate cerebellum may have expanded even more rapidly than the cortex. Okay, to summarize, the cerebral cortex is a thin layer of tissue on the outside of the brain, which is largely responsible for complex cognition and perception, although it works in concert with other subcortical regions. While all mammals have a relatively large cortex, haplorines, the group of primates that includes monkeys, apes, and humans, underwent an enormous cortical expansion. This made us more cognitively flexible and visually oriented than the strepsirines, whose cortices are smaller and more specialized for olfactory processing. This resulted from a lateral expansion of the cortex, likely through replication of cortical columns. The growth was mainly driven by an increasing number of white matter connections, and the main selection pressures seem to have been on the visual system as well as the cerebellum. All right, so that is it. Thank you for watching. And by the way, this channel is now 100% independent because I'm no longer receiving any outside funding. So I need your help. If you're getting anything out of this channel, please consider signing up for Sense of Mind's Patreon at patreon.com senseofmind. That link is in the description. If you do, you'll receive a bonus video every month plus a blog post version of every new video. And some free ways to help this channel are to subscribe, like, and comment, and sign up for our newsletter by going to senseofmindshow.com newsletter. Any support is deeply appreciated. So thanks again, and I'll catch you next time.